1: Is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
2: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conroe Neal, joined today by Chris Beasley and Joe Thomas, as we look back on Everton's disappointing 2-0 Premier League defeat at the hands of Aston Willer on Saturday, and of course look ahead to Wednesday night's game at the Emirates, as Everton take on league leaders Arsenal in the Premier League. But Gents, there's only one place to start. We were all Goodison Park on Saturday as Everton and Sean Dyke shuffled his first Goodison Park defeat in charge of Everton's second half goals from Ollie Watkins and Emilio Bermuda. Sealed Aston brothers a 2-0 victory. Joe, I think it was a stark reminder for all involved why Everton find themselves in the position they are.
1: It's a really interesting one to try and look back on and I've still got really mixed feelings to be honest. You know, on the one hand... It was actually quite a promising performance. I thought, I thought Everton did a lot of things right. You know, there, there were a few scary moments at nil-nil. Obviously, in the first half, Ollie Watkins got played through and Pickford did well with, with the one on one. And was he got something on the ball because if he hadn't, then I think he'd have been in a little bit of trouble with with, with catching Watkins. But you know, thought, well, thought Everton were pretty decent in that first half after they rode out that first 50. You know, I asked after the game what he thought, and you know, he said. Difficult first fifteen minutes, but after that, he was pretty pleased with him. I thought the same. They they struggled to, at the start of the game, but once once they got into it, it was interesting because they kind of got into it. I think more through through anger than than ability. You know, some of some of Andy Taylor's refereeing decisions w- were bordering on the, the the bizarre, if you know, at least frustrating. And there's at that moment, probably about 15, 20 minutes in, where Edson had their first really effective press of the game. And you've got Abdullah DeCore just just hunting down Tyrone Mings in the box, and Taylor gives a foul against uh, Dekori. You indicate for a sure pull. It's just just non-existence. And I think it was it was a third or fourth frustrating call in a row that got against him. and it just wound anybody up so much that all of a sudden Evan just it gave Evan some almost a foothold in the game and some momentum to build on. And and from there, I thought actually up until the goal, so probably from the twentieth minute to the sixtieth minute, I thought they were the better side. Uh, create a few decent chances and, and, and we're, we're, we're very competitive but then obviously goal goes in I know there's been a bit of controversy around the penalty I don't really have too many complaints if I'm honest I asked, I asked VAR you know why they didn't ask referee the referee anti Taylor to go back and look at his decision again and their, their view was well he went through the player before he got anywhere near the ball, and there's still a bit of a question marks as to whether he got the ball at all. But they're saying he went through the player first, which is why they they agreed with the on-field decision. I can kind of see that the knees do kind of go together. I thought it was a clumsy t- tackle by by Driss again. I thought he give gives the referee an opportunity to make that decision, and then after that, after that, I probably disagree slightly with where, where dice says because he says that. Everton did quite well to try and compete to get back into the game, but I think what what I saw, probably what a lot, of, what a lot of yeah you know, those in the in the stadium and when watching the highlights probably saw, it is a team that you know it just struggles to score goals. So once it goes one 0 down in a game, that's pretty much it. They can they get a goal, they can hang on to a lead, as we saw against Leeds and as we saw against Arsenal, and that's something that Dyche has definitely improved about this side. But you know, I mean. They are so, so short of attacking options, even when they start with their starting 11, let alone before you get onto the bench. So, you when know, changes the game for, for Afton Villa and Evan, don't really have anything like that on the bench. Or certainly, you know, they have the ball great, but with the other players that go around with the formations that the Dites favors, he isn't the game changer that he could possibly be for other sides. So, yeah, it really makes feelings because, on the one hand, it shows just how much improvement there is. It's another relatively positive performance for large chunks of the game and they definitely created more and got in in and around the Villa box a lot more and looked more threatening but on the other hand this is a team that still can't score goals and I can't see an easy solution to that problem and it's a massive problem
2: Bees, I think one of the things Joel touched on there was the the, almost the lack of belief where everything will fall behind and that's the biggest worry isn't it because obviously like Joe said scoring goals is is a big issue but also there doesn't seem to be much belief in an important squad that they can't turn things around when they fall behind and they have got, you know, armour in their, in their pack to, to get themselves back to the game.
0: Yeah, it's something that the manager's spoken about, hasn't he? He wants to improve sort of the feeling, the belief in there because, yes, they this is a team with a chronic lack of goals in it, unfortunately. Um, I don't think... I mean, it's often the way on on social media. Uh, it's it's one way or the other. There, there seems real sort of despair after the game <clears throat> on on Saturday, and um I suppose like because right, the other results had gone had not gone Evans way, and they were back in the bottom three. But like jokes, there was a lot to take encouragement from that. The, the problem was earlier in the season they were they were losing, and um, they just towards the end under Lampard. Uh, you know, there looked to be no way of turning this around, but we, we could see that they're doing the things that the new management team are, are teaching them now to get into those positions more. Dyche keeps saying, I'm not going to tell the players off if they get into these positions. They just need to do that. And then hopefully in time, it, it will um, come off. Yeah, it's, it is a problem. It, you know, It's almost first goal the winner um, at, at the moment. And um, that's how, it, how it, it was going to be. I mean, I looked on it on Sunday... And I was looking at teams who had, um, because everyone was, like I said, was down in the dumps after that game thinking, oh, there's no solutions here. But um, I looked at teams who had stayed up scoring less than one Premier League goal a game. Because it's not a rare phenomenon, believe it or not. I think there's been over 40 teams over the Premier League year that have stayed up scoring less than one goal a game. Um, sometimes you had more, as many as um, three teams per season who've done that. Um Last season was one of just eight seasons where nobody stayed up and scored unless they the goal game. So it, it can be done, but the problem is the real low base that Everton uh, are working from at the moment, that the goals per game ratio is actually lower than um than Huddersfield Town, who like they're scored the fewest goals ever to stay up in the Premier League. So that's what they're based on. But on a positive point of view, for all that doom and bloom, um, Sean Dyche actually um, holds the record for the, the highest position in Premier League history of a team who has scored less than one goal a game. They, the uh, his, his, team, his Burnley team had finished seventh above Everton in 2017-18. In That's the highest ever a team averaging less than a goal a game have finished in the Premier League. Obviously, got into Europe on the back of it. So if anybody can sort of get something out of this very dire situation that Everton find themselves, it is Sean Dyche, he, he, he's the man to sort of eke out these 1-0 wins going forward. But like I said, if, if the opposition do get their noses in front, then it is, it's, it's, it's disappointing. It's very sort of tough times for the Blues. Um, not not through want of trying, and not through mentality, but just through, through shared ability and, and having the goals um, in the team. The Royal Blue Podcast from the
1: Liverpool Echo.
2: Joe, this is like the, the problem Everton have got now is, it, is that there's no solution. To, to, to the goal scoring issue is There's no, there's no answer. Obviously, you know Dominic what Lewin would help things and say, you know improve this Everton side. But if got a lot, isn't it, to, for the lads who you know was consistently over the last eighteen months struggled to play, you know, repeatedly and struggle to shrug off injuries to come back in, hit the ground running, and, and make himself available for the next three or four months to get Everton over the line and make sure that the than in the Premier League this time next year.
1: I think we saw the end of, I mean, the end of the last season, you know, we had the same thing with Dominic Calvert-Lewin, where, you know, he comes back after injury issues, and then, the last 10 games or so, he's there or thereabouts, he's in and out side, and, you know, obviously that strengthened the case, and he, you know, picked up a few goals, obviously the, you know, the, the goal that kept Everton up is, 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 is the, the highlight of the very last goal of the season, not the last goal of the season, because Van Der Beek's got or sorry, but, the um the goal against uh the palace. I mean, but before then he struggled a little bit. He claimed the one, the first one against Brentford that that kind of went in off him. Off um you know, it's it's hard work trying to pin it all on him when when he does come back, he's gonna need a little bit of time to build his fitness up and to build his confidence up and his sharpness. And that's it. It's not just a case of him finding fitness, it's him finding form as well. And you look at it with you know, with Leeds, who are probably Everton's yeah, closest threat for, you know, closest rival for the, be that third team that you know, goes down on the one that stays up at their expense. And you know, they're going through a similar thing with Patrick Bamford at the minute. And we all know that a fit and firing Patrick Bamford can, you know, probably score the goals that would be necessary to keep Leeds in the Premier League this season. But they just can't quite get him on form. He's playing, he's not getting the goals, he's not quite getting in there. And obviously, you know, he's now 10 games ahead of where Calvert Lewin yeah. is because he's, he's at least playing now. So, you know, it really is a difficult one. I think the you know, Deitch has to come up with other solutions. And you can see, it's even more frustrating, because where you can see just how much Evan have improved under the four games that Deitch has been there, has been in and around the box and getting balls in. Yeah, I had a really good game on Saturday. I thought he put some really threatening balls into the box. But without Dominic Calvert-Lewin there, they're just wasted. And I suppose the only hope that I've, I've really got on that front is that one thing that Evan have been is it's been very circumspect with, with given a time frame for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. You know, hopefully they're always gearing up for, to play towards Dominic Calvert-Lewin knowing something that we don't and actually much closer to fitness than we do, <laughs> or they're always priming the side, ready for his return. But you know, for the last 18 months as tall as anything, it's an incredibly dangerous tactic. You know, I think that, he needs to find alternative solutions. And you can see that he's been experimenting. Obviously, he tried Ellis Sims up top against Anfield, uh, against them Anfield. He's tried Neil Lowe up top by himself. He hasn't really given Damari Gray a chance. And, and that's probably, that's an interesting one. But I think the problem with Damari Gray up top, and we have seen him threatening through the middle. Yeah, this post World Cup, he was probably the best player um, in a little bit with not very much competition. Um, from Wolves to, to to West Ham in, in the in the, the end of the Lampard era. Um I can't help but feel that for, for Grey to be effective up top he needs someone up there with him. And that means pulling somebody out of that midfield five and then sacrificing a lot of stability and a lot of resilience in the middle of the park. middle of the park. I don't know that I don't know if Deitch is prepared to do that. I don't know if Epsom are good enough to do that, to be honest. Yeah, you know, we we're seeing it certainly the first half of the season, are almost at their weakest when they're trying to get goals, when they're trying to get ahead of a game. You know, they lose the ball on the edge of the opposition's final third and that transition, they just can't handle it. I think if you take somebody out of midfield to try and support Damari Gray, whilst you might be more threatening going forward. You're gonna be weaker going backwards. And I don't think this is an even if even if Deitch can find improvements, I don't think this is an evidence side that can is capable of going into games say, well if you score two, we'll score three don't think we're going to get to that stage. It's it's getting that one at the minute that's hard enough. You know, Deitch is experimenting and, you know, obviously he might, Chris might be able to tell us more about this, uh, but you know, he he might start to readdress his initial thoughts on how I do Onada. You know, he he said quite clearly to to both myself and Chris at the beginning of his tenure that he didn't see Onada in in a Fellaini kind of role maybe he might have to push towards that thing just to try and find a little bit of a difference because, you know, as we have seen, it shouldn't be all doom and gloom. Like, you know, Everton have, they have won two games under Dyche and two, two games, one against the best opponent in the league as it was at the time, and the other one against the team that needed it as much as Everton. So when they do get that goal, they, they, they can't hold on to it, but if they go behind and they're struggling, the minute they've got to score two goals to win a game, you know, it's, it's a mess, and that's, and, and that's the problem. It's almost it's a it's a race against time, I think, for Deitch now. It's I think we can all see that Evan are making genuine improvements, quite big strides under him, even in the short time frame that he's been here. The question is, can he get the can he get enough improvements out of this side in time to save them? I think that's yeah, that's a million dollar question. Or in the Premier League to championship, you know, stakes. That's the hundred hundreds of millions of pounds dollar question or whatever it is. So yeah, I think, um, I think that's, that's the battle that we've all got to keep
2: our eyes on. He's you not know, just joined there, but on Neil Warpike, it was interesting mm-hmm. that, you know, after the game on Saturday, a lot of fans you know, rightly questioned the lack of transfer activity and, and, and you know, kind of cited the lack of, you know, replacing Charleston, bringing in the forwards when it's clear that, you not know, ever Everton needs the forwards. If you far have Macheri sitting there, you know, reading some of them tweets and the thoughts of supporters, I suppose you would be inclined to remind supposedly to actually sanction the sign of Neil Morpe in the summer and he arrived as a forward and and essentially in many respects he he kept his past the ball it. it's just not his fault that Morpe
0: is the prolific goal scorer ever needed. I think the problem was um um Mopey would have ultimately been and I've the uh, the chairman and then the owner sign everything off but um, it would have been a footballing decision made by Frank Lampard and Kevin Felwell director football and um, you from the start for whatever Neil Mopé's um, attributes are and and his, um, the, the plus points of what he, he brings to a, a team as an attacker he's very different than Dominic Carver lewin and if you're interchanging between the two he's not anywhere near a like-for-like replacement um, I think he often played alongside a, a strike partner at Bragg North Albion which is um, something that Everton have done under Lampard or Deitch now which has been one of up top, and we've been saying all season, it's the interchange in between all of those, I mean, very early on in his Everton career, got himself off the mark against West Ham United, he sort of created that chance himself, and a little bit of space on the edge of the the area, turned and shot, and you thought, oh, maybe he's somebody a bit different than Calvert-Lewin, who needs that service too, and who can almost fashion a chance out of nothing, but yeah, one goal in 19 games in all competitions, you know, that's not a a good strike rate. It's interesting uh, at Brighton. He got to at least eight Premier League goals. You know, it was never prolific, but at least eight Premier League goals in his three full seasons there, uh, including ten in his first season. So he does have something of a, a pedigree of a track record at the, at this level. But have not been playing to his strengths. I mean it, it, he actually had quite a few chances and um against Bill at the at the weekend. Uh maybe should have stuck one away, similar to how Calvert Lewin had three good chances uh, against Arsenal and uh for he got um, his latest injury so yeah he, he he brought someone in but I don't think Farhad mashiri can be sort of anything like smugger. I did my job given that last month he, he went and said that you know if we need a striker we'll go get one and it was paintedly obvious that for, despite spending 15 million on Neil Mopate to start the season that hadn't worked out and you know our understanding was for a long time that Everton wanted to bring in two attacking players in the January transfer be at all, despite raking in forty-five million for Anthony Gordon. So I don't think that the owner or anybody in Everton's hierarchy could say, "Well, we did our bit getting mopey at the start of the season." Because unfortunately, come January, for whatever reasons, it, it was patently obvious to anyone with any sort of knowledge of football at all that you know, the attacking reinforcements were needed uh, desperately for Everton. Joel, just going back to Vaishan, you know, in the way he set up City
2: come in. There was a lot of expectation, Everett, playing 4 4 2. Obviously, it's been more of a 4 5 1. He seems to have stuck with the formation that works well against Arsenal in his first game in charge. Are you surprised that we haven't seen a certain game against Leighton and Aston for a dice go back to that 4 4 Maybe a little bit more kind of attack minded and look to maybe get one, an extra body in the box, given you know, it's clear to see before he come Heaven struggles in front of goal.
1: No, not not yet. Because I think that in the, the first three games, that I mean, I was surprised when he didn't go four four two straight from the beginning. Because obviously, yeah, you know, that that is the system that he has favoured over the course of his career. But once he chose, it 4 at four five one. Obviously, he to against Arsenal, that went Lee, against Leeds. what it did was those first three games: Arsenal, Liverpool, and Leeds. You know, a lot of the threat comes from out wide. It comes from the wingers, and by playing five in midfield and by having it. The, the wide men being a Woby and, and McNeil, both, both of them are lads that don't mind getting back in a bit of defence, they offered a little bit of additional protection to Michael and Coleman, um, and, if, and that worked really well against Arsenal. It worked really well against, against Leeds. Didn't work against Liverpool, but yeah, that is what it is. Uh, to use a, a cliche, um, so so I wasn't that surprised that he, he stuck with it for from, from Miller because it worked two of the three occasions, even if their threat is perhaps. Comes from the middle a little bit more. Obviously, it didn't work. Um, when I say it didn't work, fifty-nine minutes into that game, Everton the momentum have had the i have had more. You've had plenty of good chances, or albeit Pickford has made two good saves by that point. But you know, fifty-nine minutes in, I'm thinking Everton are more likely to get the goal in an Aston Villa. So I'm not even sure you can say it didn't necessarily work. But again, you know, Dyke's is going to have to look at ways to make Everton look more threatening going forward, create more chances. Um, I wouldn't expect to see anything different against against Arsenal uh, tomorrow because obviously he'll, he'll, he'll play the formation, I should imagine it worked last time and and, and hope that it has an impact the same. Forrest on Sunday could be very difficult, a very different proposition. I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how he lines up against that. He probably, I mean, I'm making this a slight leap in my assumption here, but I imagine that he probably knows more about Forest than he does any other opposition Everton are going to face in the Premier League this season. He he lives near there, and, and he was telling us the other day how he spent a lot of time going to watch the Forest games back in the Championship season after after he lost his job at Burnley. Uh, and we know that you know, he'll be back there at the, at the City Ground during this this season. If I was there for the for Forest versus Leeds a couple of weeks ago, so. I wonder if he might have something up his sleeve for that game. Um, but I haven't been surprised to see... One, once I got over the surprise, i seeing seen him line up 4-5-1 for his very first game. I mean, after that work, I've not been surprised to see him not change it since then. But, you know, it, the the big dilemma he's got is trying to work out how he how he gets goals into this side. And at the moment, it looks like Mope's his, his favorite striker. I mean, if Mope gets eight goals, this season like he has in every other Premier League season and Everton stay up. Um and it may well be the case that once he gets one the the confidence flows and Everton grow in confidence and then more follow. Um but you can't help but feel that Everton need more support up in there and yeah, you know, playing him off someone like Sims might just might just help. And against Forrest, yeah, you know, Forrest at the City Ground's a difficult proposition at the minute, but they, they probably don't have the same weapons that Arsenal well, they still have the same weapons as Arsenal have or Liverpool and they probably don't have the same weapons quite as much or the same stability that the Villa do so that might be a game where he goes for it that might be a game where he goes you know what if everything's going to stay up winning this is crucial maybe you pull a surprise out of the bag for that game The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo With
0: threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever
2: He's one man who did impress on Saturday and, and has continued to impress since Sean Dyche arrived the club, was Dwight McNeil. Obviously, you know, Summer sign. I like he's initially said so to say he struggled to hit the ground running. There's so yeah. a bit of power play under Frank Lampard, and even towards the end, it seemed like Frank Lampard wasn't too keen on even he, coming off the bench. But I think it's safe to say under Sean Dyche, he's a rejuvenated figure. He's someone who's
0: all of a sudden shown signs of promise. Yeah, i he's, he's Sean Dyche, of course, a manager who. Gave him his his big break in the game as as a teenager at at, at Burnley and brought him through. I think it could have been in that season they were in Europe, but he's got his his chances and obviously um, getting his £20 million move to Everton despite Burnley um, being relegated um, last summer. Um, Yeah, if if anyone knows Dwight McNeil and how to get the best out of him, it's Sean Dyche who obviously has been reunited. With um, yeah, the the idea is all about. I mean, it seems it seems simple. It seems ridiculously simple, and therefore very damning about the um, the previous managerial regime. That you got a winger here who can deliver on it on his left foot, get that ball into the box, old fashioned. We have a lot of inverted wingers these days, where people are cutting inside. But you no, know, the that old school approach, which I think you know, you can sort of. Undermine the be almost quite um, haughty and uh, disparaging about now is just because it's something that seems to be old-fashioned. The same way, you know, four-four-two, bedrock of the British game for many years, is almost um, yeah. as well. And yet, you know, Carlo Ancelotti often plays that way. But, yeah, it's that uh, the classic left-footed winger on the left wing, getting the ball into the box as soon as possible. It's not Dwight McNeil's fault that Everton, haven't got anybody in there. They, as, as Deitch says, they need to be breaking the neck. Mopey's not a, t- a target man, but he can still get headers in there. He can still attack the ball, as can Alex Wobbe coming in from the, the other side or uh, Amadou Anana coming in from deep. I mean, again, as, as Joe alluded to before, it's something that we've got under embargo we're coming out the next 24 hours. So I can't say too much about it. But, you know, obviously, Amadou Anana offers a, an, an aerial threat or a, as a threat coming in as a runner into, into the box. So, Something that Michael Ball often speaks to me about when we're doing this column. If you're in those wide areas, your priority just get you've done your job, get the ball into the box as soon as possible. And then it's up to your teammates. And also, if they know you're going to do that, they know you're going to go early. They can anticipate that. I mean, there's some of the problems with Everton this season. We, we don't know what they're they're going to do. There doesn't seem to be any cohesion. But if you know that Dwight McNeil's going to look to get his half a yard and get the ball into the box early, then Hopefully you can anticipate that as a teammate and at some point Evan can start, you know, putting away these chances that he's creating. Joe, obviously, you know, looking back on further as a whole
2: though, I think that, that it was just, you touched on this already, but you know, that was probably Evan's best performance from a, a general perspective under Sean Dyche. And that's gotta give them confidence going into Wednesday night because Arsenal at the end it, it doesn't really get much tougher than that right now.
1: Yeah, I think the best performance so far probably was the Arsenal game in, in fairness. Yeah, they they won that game they deserve to win it a villa game there were a lot there were there were genuine positives to take albeit overshadowed by yeah. albeit overshadowed by um the the problem uh, that we all know is, is is the case the fact that we and we just don't have a goal scorer at, at the moment um so yeah i mean if he can replicate what he did at the emirates if he can replicate what he did at good some back his after the emirates on, on wednesday night then Everton might have a chance. We've seen that they have been a little bit more fragile recently, Arsenal kick-started by the defeat at Goodison Park. You know, they drew against um, Brentford, didn't they? I mean, it took them to took the end of the game to to overcome Aston Villa. So, so you know, maybe you know, I think the problem that, that Everton have got is they just can't concede early because if they concede early and they're chasing again, the Arsenal team will just rip them to shreds I think. That's the If they can get through the first 15, 20 minutes, make Arsenal doubt themselves, then you get to the point where they almost got to against Liverpool. You know, Liverpool did cause a threat for that first half an hour, first 35 minutes, but obviously Everton just about survived it. And then, you know, albeit I think there was a quite a big difference between in quality between the two sides that day. Tarkovsky's header going in it is a different game. And I think Everton have always got to try and hope for similar circumstances. Um, you, know, the Emirates, stay in the game, keep it tight, don't concede anything sloppy early. You know, if they can get to half an hour, it's still nil-nil, and just if they get the chance, because they probably will get a chance or two, they just, yeah, you know, they, they just got to take it this time. You know, they have got to make make the home fans doubt themselves, put them under pressure because they know they've got to win to keep, you know, keep keep going forward in their own title ambitions. And you know, if they can. Place the pressure on Arsenal as opposed to themselves, and that could have a you know a big difference, and that probably be key to them getting something out of it. But it is clearly going to be a very difficult task.
2: He obviously, you know, football managers, people involved in football, they hate the, the phrase "it's a free hit." Mm. This, for many people, is seen as a free hit for Everton. But well, for Sean Dyche, the last thing he will want is to be beaten and be beaten heavily at the Emirates, heading into you know a huge game on Sunday to City ground against Nottingham Forest.
0: Yeah, and on the one hand, you just don't want to have that goal difference eroded too much, like you said, because it couldn't improve, um at the end of the season and then actually picking up knocks for that, which ultimately probably going to be a much more important um, game for Everton's um, Premier League future on, on Sunday at the City ground. But <clears throat> it's been the problem for a long time. And again, it's something that Deitch has inherited. Um like the the problem with Merseyside derbies, whatever the form might be, whenever even you think on those rare occasions that Everton are doing better than Liverpool, and obviously the twenty twelve um, FA Cup semi final when Everton thought this was Everton's big chance. That certain fixtures that Everton have really struggled in for a for a long time. Um, he was famous that one uh, infamous that David Moyes for all the good things he did at Everton. You know he. He never won away at Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United or Liverpool, in um, whatever it was, 48 games or whatever it was. Um, and Everton haven't won in, in front of fans, away at, at Arsenal since serving. Andre Kanchelskis and Graeme Stewart scored in it. It's been part of the problem for Everton. They're not just in really bad seasons like this one when they've been really struggling. But in certain fixtures, they re- really have a, a mental block yeah you don't, you know, nine times out of ten, you know, you won't win at Arsenal away. But maybe you know, that one time you should do, but Emerson have really sort of struggled against certain teams. Well, they the top teams, obviously. The teams with the greatest resources, and like I say, you don't expect them to win the lion's share of these fixtures. But every now and again, they should come out of it with something. And maybe with that... That dice resilience it could be this time sort of turn this around. I'm not saying to anyone ever I'm going to go to the Emirates and uh, beat Arsenal 3-0. I think that's, it's, 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 that seems very un- unlikely. But they've got to sort of just get over this from, from a mental point of view. And he said, well, even goes back, like I say, long beyond this bunch of players. Uh, it seems to be a, a, an institutional thing that the club, I do know, if the... It's easy for us to talk about it, pontificate about it. If, if, if it was that simple, then somebody would have done something about rectifying it. But I think it is the, the Premier League fixture that Everton have taken the, the, the fewest points per game from Arsenal away. So there you go. Is, is, is that a free hit? It's probably as much as a free hit as, as, as you're gonna um, as you're gonna get without actually admitting to that. But the tide's Ty, got to turn somewhere, and. Just picking up a little point here and there where it's not expected, that could, be, that could ultimately be the difference, couldn't we?
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavour and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild.
2: Joel, do you expect to see Sean Dyche make any changes to the starting lineup on Wednesday night? Because obviously, you know, there's the goal score issue between... And the Sims and the Unwell um, will get another you know, to lead the line. But fans have also maybe been raising you know, the, the question of making change at the back. Obviously, I think it's safe to say, either you know, James Tocoski or Conoco, they covered themselves in glory for Astor with a second goal of the weekend. And there's a, one or two fans who maybe you had to see, Gary yeah, Mina giving the nod or maybe Ben Godfrey come in. Would you would you expect to see any, any changes to the start now for where last the, the weekend?
1: I don't. I don't to be honest. I don't think he'll make any changes at the back. I think he has to keep Tarkovsky in um, mainly because the reality is whether we like it or not, Tarkovsky is the biggest goal threat. You yeah. know, four games so I he scored the winner against Arsenal. He hit the points against Liverpool. He fought Meslier into a into a good save against Leeds, and he headed over the bar from another corner. You know, again against Villa. So I mean, Tarkovsky is probably central to the one element of of the Emerson attacking threat that we know that does work now is from from, from set pieces. Conor Cody, you know, he has struggled a little bit, I think, recently. But I think that that what Deitch, I think he thrives on simplicity and and, and consistency. And I think he will try and maintain partnerships and tactics um, to as as strong a degree as, as he can. Um, you know, one of the problems that Evan had probably at the back end of last season was the fact that he had to keep chopping and changing because of injuries and suspensions. Um and I think that I think that Deitch will be hopeful that the more time he spends with them, they this group of players, the more he can hold his tactics and confidence and develop them. But critical to that will be maintaining consistency and selection. And I think that there's a twofold problem with Yerry you What know, One is if you bring him in, he's he's new to the setup. Uh, so it's a new partnership that, you know, we haven't really seen well you know got injured on the first game of the season we didn't then see him until I think it was born left before the World Cup and um, you know we saw him for Wolves after the World Cup but obviously Jeremy Miner hasn't played enough games to form a partnership with anybody at the back but you've got the double-edged sword you know he could come in play well for two games and be injured for the rest of the season and you know that might sound quite harsh but it's the reality of of Jeremy Miner's time at Everton and Deitch has to factor that in you know what if he if he disrupts it now, to so then potentially have to disrupt it again in 180 minutes time, then that's more problems. You know, I can see a, a, a compelling argument for bringing him or for for Godfrey but I don't think that that'll be the case. Um, I don't think that'll be the case against Arsenal, uh, where he could potentially change things. Is up top, but everything you know, Chris was at his press conference on on, on Monday night, so you will probably be able to tell us more on this, but sound like he's going to persevere with more pay at the top. Um, you know, I asked him about Damari Gray on, on, on Friday and yeah, he gave a, a detailed answer, but one that seems to suggest that you know, Damari Gray might not be a forefront of his mind at the minute. I think it feels almost like Damari Gray's got to prove to Deitch what he can do rather than Deitch first give him the opportunity, it sounds like. I think that, I think Gray needs to convince him first, but whether not but he has had the chance so far. You know, I wonder if maybe he might do what he did against Liverpool and and, and play Ellis Sims up top just just by virtue of the fact that one, to getting more balls into the box. Obviously he's more of an aerial threat than, than Neil mopane But but secondly, and obviously he you bristled at the idea of it being a free hit against Arsenal, but it was a bit of a it's never a free hit against Liverpool and Field, but as high pressure as those games are. Yeah, Ellis, Emson, in a scenario where Ellis Sims has to play a role for Evan to stay up this season, you yeah, whether that's just the main man going into the last you know, a dozen games or so, or whether that's as a player that comes on for the last 10 minutes. He has such little Premier League experience that yeah, you've got no choice having to throw him in at the deep end. And I wonder if a game like this, similar to the game Anfield, are just opportunities where almost there's less pressure on him because Evan not expected to do anything and he isn't expected to do anything. So it's another chance to get, you know, 60, 70 minutes into his leg, see if he can grow into a Premier League player quickly, see if he can cause a few problems or get a little bit of confidence himself or build a, a relationship or a partnership with someone around him. Just almost, as I say, you know, Daich won't consider this as a free hit, but he has such limited time at Everton to, to find the answer to the problems that he's got The these are almost the games where he has more of an opportunity to experiment because he can't experiment against Leeds or Forest or Wolves or Bournemouth or, or teams like that because yeah, those games were ever, and know the points are definitely there for the taking. Like he has to go out to get them. So if if, I, if, I, if there's if there's to be any change tomorrow, then I'd expect it to be more likely to be at the top end of the pitch and the bottom end of the pitch. I'd like to see Damari Gray get be given an opportunity, but. I don't see Gray starting out wide for the reasons we covered earlier. You know, Arsenal's wide threat. But Neil in a worry, but he did very well to support Mikolenko and Coleman in, in, in nullifying that at Goodison Park just a couple of weeks ago. So, uh, you yeah, know, and then Gray up front by himself. You know, he's similar stature to Morpé, but at least what Wolpe does do is he, he winds people up. He chases every lost cause. He leaves a foot in. You know, he can occupy centre-backs even if he can't necessarily... Challenge or intimidate them. So, I don't. I don't expect to see any changes tomorrow. I, I don't expect to. Um, he might surprise us, but like I said, I, I almost. You, you know, yeah, I, I, I think, I think he'll stick with what worked well at Goodison Park. Um, in this case, and you know, I, f- I think he, I think he'll probably start more pay up top and Cody alongside Tarkovsky.
0: Be yourself. Do you, do you expect any change, or would you like to see any changes? I think, given that it's a midweek one, um, possibly, but like Joe says, I don't think there's going to be major surgery there at all. Actually, I concur with what he says there about um, Sims. This is probably the one where you could get away with that, and that the exact same reasons Joe's put out there. You know, you can't experiment in those on those must-win fixtures or must not lose. Whereas all this, like, we're not calling that free hit, but it is the the opportunity. Um, to do that, it's interesting. To say about the Marty Gray because it's a player who was playing nearly all the time under the Frank Lampard, and he's 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 not got much of a, a look in under Dyche. Um, he said the first week that he'd, he'd been carrying a bit of a knock, so whether he's been recovering for that, but yeah, uh, he, he can't see him uh, leading the line on, on his own for for a fictional... Just wonder uh, maybe in, in the full back areas, perhaps there's a bit of scope there. I mean, Seamus going to be 35 in October. To be fair, he's <laughs> done well we to play twice a week, so it's not going to be a problem and, Google me. in that respect. But um, yeah, I, I, I would imagine it to be um, more of the, of the same from what we've seen so far because there's, there's not a great deal of, of scope that, you, you know, you can you can change things. He's got all those centre-backs in reserve, but you don't want to be just uh, changing the, the back four nearly?
1: Blue podcast
2: from the Liverpool Echo. Although you say, do you think the times almost coming out where they need to make changes to out the back in the sense of Everton not looked as strong defensively, and maybe it is you know because if, the, if if there were of the, the pitches in it where Sean Dyche has multiple options to choose from, it's you know like you look at the you look at the CMG for instance, like Saturday, it's four centre backs and one left back. They come to bench short back players. Is it almost not like it's an area that he can't... He can't ignore that maybe he, he could... Has the chance to freshen things up.
1: Ah, uh, um, I mean, I don't know how much opportunities really got. Well, the thing is that he's had four games. He kept two clean sheets in those four games. Defence isn't doing that bad, really. You know, clean sheet against ASR. So clean sheet against Leeds. You against Liverpool. Yeah, the, the, the goals came in transition and... I mean, it didn't look particularly solid against Liverpool, but obviously we know the weapons Liverpool had at their disposal. You know, Aston Villa, I suppose it depends how you interpret that first hour, really. Do you go, everyone were arguably the better side and only went behind because of the penalty due to a, a clumsy tackle, Yeah, decision that could have gone either way, or do you go 60 minutes in, Ollie Watkins had you know, a one-on-one with Pickford and... And a good opportunity from header that forced a brilliant save from Pickford. Um, so, I mean, you could probably make the argument either way, but I don't think that surgery is desperately needed. It depends how he's going to play, really, I think. And, and if he wants to start pushing up the pitch to create more attacking options, be more of a goal threat, then obviously the higher the back line goes, the more exposed this current defence is. Because, you know, one thing that that back four doesn't hold a lot of his pace. And then he you know, you, you had the argument to to bring in Ben Godfrey, probably either at centre-back for, for Cody or at left-back for Mikalenko. Um, you know, a couple of games ago, I mean, I you know, against Leeds, I'd have been tempted to have gone Holgate at right-back and, and, and Godfrey at left-back and just almost played four centre-backs and just gone, you know, they're not getting much attacking joy from those positions, so let's just go full-on solid. But um, then Coleman goes and scores an absolute worldly and it makes that idea look like looks slightly foolish. So I don't think he has to make changes, and, and, and that's just a problem. Everything comes with you know two sides to every coin, doesn't it? Can bring Mina in, but do you, do you risk another false dawn with Yerry Mina? I, I don't know. I think he's probably the most talented centre back that Everton have got. But do you disrupt things and then potentially have them disrupted again when you know he's shown us? Just time and time again, that he can't consistently play. And one thing that this side needs at the back is consistency. Michael Keane is perhaps a, a reasonable option. Obviously, he's played you know he's played alongside uh, Tarkovsky all his career, played under Deitch in his career. You know, I think he's one of the players that is a lot happier in that dressing room. Judging by the people I speak to, um, for the change, obviously he wasn't getting looking under Frank Lampard. I think had there been a way to find. A route out of the club on terms that suited Everton in January, and I think Michael Keane would have gone whilst Lampard was there. As it happened, it didn't. You know, um, yeah, the early options were really loan options that were being put forward by clubs that were competing against them, and to stay up. And obviously, they don't want to strengthen one of their rivals. Or on, and you know, on top of that, there were a few. In, there's a little bit of interest from Italy, but I don't think they had the the finances to. You know, the, the lower reaches of Serie A not quite like the finances to make Emerson, you know, one apart ways. And obviously, once you have the change with, with Deitch coming in, then the one the goes out the door because he wants to assess the squad. So, I mean, Godfrey coming in for a bit of pace. I, I don't really think we see changes to the back four until Patterson comes back. And then I think if Patterson comes back, you probably see a bit of rotation with with, with Coleman. um you know, I think Everton are probably going to spend a lot of time defending tomorrow. And, and when it's back to the walls on the edge of the box, then I think that's kind of Cody in a place where he's probably at his most comfortable. Yeah, you know, I don't think Everton are going to be spending most of their time in the Arsenal half now about four, and have a bat forward that's going to be. Sorry, a bat four is going to be sat on the halfway line and, and vulnerable to balls over the top because you know, Arsenal are going to dominate at the Emirates. So I. Uh, I don't think he has to make any changes. I think there's a case for changes, but I also think there's a case to keep it the same because, like we say, two clean sheets and, you know, say, you can interpret the, the Villa game either, either way depending on, on how you look at those Watkins chances. Um, so I don't think he needs to make changes and until he needs to, I don't think he will.
2: beast just before we finish with him, and all the problems Everton have got but far off the pitch at the minute, there is one spectacular positive for the club and that's the club's brand more new dock stadium which is you know continuing its developments. Yeah. so you can at the north stand the roof has been completed as the latest stage of the development and project takes shape but suddenly it's very it starting to look very real and i think it could so be well be in their new home
0: <laughs> well yeah they the absolutely the, the idea is to 24 25 season it, it it's it, people well, I say they say the joke. They don't joke. Um, when we have all uh, when the the club puts out stadium new stadium updates. Um, after after a poor result, but I mean the problem they've had is that, that most results have been poor. Of late, so the, the work continues, win, lose or draw. The it is continuing at a pace, and um, it just so happens to come out after a defeat. It comes out after a defeat because unfortunately, far so too many defeats. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's wild, really. How will de- Seven years on from um, Farhad Mashiri, the announcement of him getting his, his uh, majority um, shareholding at the, at the club. And it's the one thing he has delivered on on, on the new stadium. We're still waiting to hear on this. The uh, financing of the stadium is the same for any club that builds a new stadium. You don't have that money in the bank. You do borrow from the private sector or wherever you go to look for it. And uh, still waiting on that. I see. That's That's the that's the one concern that people um have that uh just how is this going to be done? But we can see it in front of our, of our eyes. Um, uh, the owner says that uh, uh, um he hopes to have a. we said they're close to it, so he hopes to be able to announce something soon. So, I think that would just delay everyone's fears of, especially at this time of um, strife again with the club fighting for it, it, its Premier League and life. Um, yeah, but okay, all that we keep seeing from the stadium is is only good stuff and. And we can see it as ourselves. I mean, if you look down from the South, the part of the city where where you live, Conrad, I'm sure you can get decent views from by there. And then myself across the water, looking across from from New Brighton, it just, it looks spectacular already. So yeah, we just want to get that that job done and have that iconic uh, new stadium ready um, as soon as possible. But obviously it's it's imperative that uh, Everton are in, in the Premier League when they move in. Right, gents, I think we will leave things there.
2: Joe will, of course, be at the Emirates Stadium on Wednesday night to cover Everton's Premier League clash against Arsenal and bring you all the follow-up from that game at the Emirates. And we will be back home Friday afternoon to look back on that game in the capital, look back on Sean Dyche's pre-match, nothing Forest far as press conference, and, of course, preview Everton's big game at the City ground on Sunday afternoon. But until then, thank you very much for listening to the Royal Blue Podcast.
1: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.